Why, what a blessing to share this time with you. If you're joining us for the first time, I'm Pastor Terry. I'm the lead pastor here at Cornerstone Church in San Francisco. And right now I'm over here at the Mission Campus building on the third floor. You know, this week, it's going to be a different kind of week. It's election week. It's going to be intense. But what I want to do in this time is just set aside the political discourse. And I want to talk about you. I want to talk about us. I want to talk about staying resilient and building resilience, especially when things are hard. And even now, Lord, I, I just welcome your presence among us. We welcome your presence among us. Speak your words to us and keep our hearts soft before you. That's my prayer in Jesus' name. And the fact is, in life, we're going to have times where we're disappointed. There are going to be things that are hard for us. In some situations, things are not going to go the way we were hoping. Sometimes we're even going to have to drink a bitter cup. And in that situation, the key, <laughs> I think, will be to make sure that we can drink a bitter cup without becoming bitter. That's very important. You know what I mean? I also get become an angry, critical person. I don't think God wants us to be like that. I know the Lord doesn't. He does not want us to be like that. All up, locked up inside, just filled with negativity. God wants us to be alive. He wants us to be able to walk in his love. You know, I was thinking about that. Of, actually, it was a verse in 1 Corinthians 16, two verses, 13 and 14. It says this, be on guard, stand firm in the faith, be courageous, be strong, and then do everything with love. You see the balance? What a balance that is. It's maybe worth saying one more time. Maybe we can say it together. Be on guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous. Be strong. And do everything with love. That is a wonderful balance. God wants us to be both hard and soft. And I don't mean hard like in terms of just, you know, blocked off and, and mean. I mean and insensitive. But I mean in, in, in terms of our ability to, to walk through things and, and to persevere. That he wants there to be an essential toughness and grit to our lives. But at the same time, he wants us to be soft. So there's, there's, we need both of those things at different times. The Lord, Lord wants us to both be strong and courageous at the same time, loving and compassionate. See, you know, it reminds me of Jesus, really. I was reminded of another piece of sagely advice that I just have been trying to follow a little bit these, these past few weeks. Laugh when you can, apologize when you should, and let go of what you can't change. That's worth saying again. Laugh when you can, apologize when you should, and let go of what you can't change. You know, letting go for a follower of Jesus is not denial. It's, 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 it's not necessarily saying that something isn't what it is, but it's letting go and choosing to trust the Lord with what we cannot control. Because if we're just gripping things that we can't control, then that's going to control us. And it does bring us back to a simple phrase that I've heard a number of times over my Christian life, let go and let God. And I know it sounds 
trite and easy, let go and let God. But actually, it's more profound than it would seem. Letting go is not always easy. A lot of times we're holding on to things and those things are starting to define us and they're actually hurting us. And there are times where God just says, you need to let that go. And you need to let, let me work in your life. Let go and let God. You need to trust me. You need to operate out of a trust base. Not all the different things that are going on around you and let, let that be that's pulling you here and pulling you there. You know, one of the things I, I often note is when things that come out of us, whether they're spoken words or written words or communication patterns or reactions, they reveal where we're at. And when we're not in a good place, things come out of us that don't look a lot like Jesus. And, and I know what the Lord wants. He wants us to, to really trust him and to build our life in such a way that it reflects his reality at work in us. So loved one, is there something that we are being asked to let go of and give to God, let go and let God? I want to reset. I want to pick back up where we were last week. I want to pick back up looking at the life of Joseph, who is our model for resilience. Joseph, this man of the Old Testament, this man of the book of Genesis, this man whose story we've been sitting with in our previous series up and over and right now. And we're living out of this life and letting God speak to us through it. When we left off, Joseph had just interpreted in Genesis 40, the dreams of two fellow prisoners. One of them was Pharaoh's personal cupbearer. And the other one was Pharaoh's baker, the butler and the baker. Some have called them. Each of them held a critical position. A cupbearer checked liquids to ensure Pharaoh's safety, made sure he wasn't poisoned. And the baker prepared much of his food. Both of them had a tremendous amount of power in a certain way. It's quite likely that they were being investigated for some involvement in a plot to kill Pharaoh. And we don't, we aren't told this directly, but they were both put in prison and their fates were being decided. Remember it was Potiphar who was the captain of Pharaoh's guard and who had also been the one who had purchased Joseph when he was sold as a slave in the Egyptian slave markets. It was Potiphar, the captain of Pharaoh's guard, who had took these two men into custody and entrusted them into the low security prison, but he had entrusted them to Joseph. And we pick back up in verse six, Genesis 40. When Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled. And so he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in custody in his master's house, why are your faces so downcast today? What's wrong with you? Joseph noticed that they were not well. And evidently, they probably had both been talking about this, having risen from these very vivid, and in some cases, it seemed dark dreams that they had that night. And they said, well, we've had these dreams and we don't know what they mean. We, we don't understand them. We thought it was just ourselves. My dream wasn't the same as his, but we both had the dreams and we don't know what they mean because they were very superstitious. And Joseph said to them, well, I believe that interpretations belong to God. God knows all things. Please tell me your dreams. Tell me what, what you saw. And so the, the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph. And he said to him, in my dream, there was a vine before me. And on the vine, there were three branches. And as soon as it, it budded, 
its blossoms shot forth and the clusters ripened into grapes. And Pharaoh's cup was in my hand. And I took the grapes and I pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and I placed the cup into Pharaoh's hand. And Joseph, who was given a word of knowledge, it was a kind of gift that he, I think he possessed since the days of his youth. Joseph said, I know what your dream means. This is the interpretation. The three branches, they are actually three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and he's going to restore you to your office. This is good news. And you shall place Pharaoh's cup in his hand as you've done formerly when you were his cupbearer. When this happens, only remember, if you could, when it is well with you, then please do me this kindness if you, if you can, to mention me to Pharaoh. And so get me out of this house, this prison house. For I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews. <laughs> My own brother sold me into slavery. And, and here also I've done nothing to justify being put into this pit, this place. If you can, when you are restored, as I'm reminding you, you will be, would you please remember me? Now, while this is happening, this exchange is occurring. The baker is listening with awakened interest and a hope. For as he's hearing the favorable interpretation, oh, he's going to be restored. He, he says, I, I, I also had a dream. I also had a dream. And his dream was equally as bizarre and vivid. He goes, I, I had a dream. And, and if you could tell me what it means. And when the chief baker, were told, verse 16, saw that the interpretation was favorable, he said to Joseph, I also had a dream. Uh, uh, there were three cake baskets, uh, baskets that held bread that were piled on my head, one on top of the other, it seems. And on the one on the very top, there, there were all sorts of baked bake food for Pharaoh, all right? Um, but then the birds just came and flocked onto it on, on the, in this basket, and they just started eating out of it on my, on my head. And Joseph said, essentially, well, I have some good news, and I have some bad news. The good news is that I understand what your dream means. My God has shown me. The bad news is that I understand what your dream means. And it's not good, my friend. It's not good. And Joseph answered and he said, this is his interpretation. The three baskets are three days. And in three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head from you. He's going to hang you on a tree. And the birds, the birds are going to eat your flesh from you at the end. And if I'm the baker, I'm going, what? Wow. Are you sure that that's not good? No, it's not. It's not good. It's not good at all. Uh, I'm sorry. You best prepare. And on the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, he made a feast for all his servants and he lifted up the head of the cheap cupbearer, just like Joseph had predicted and interpreted in the dream and the head of the chief baker among his servants. He called him into his presence and he restored in front of everybody, the chief cup bearer to his position. He placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. Evidently there was a special cup and he was allowed to give it to Pharaoh. It was symbolic and an indication that he was being restored. And then turning to the baker, he said, you, you will hang in verse 22, but he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to them. 
And then a very sad verse as well for Joseph, that is. And this is how the 40th chapter ends. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. And it's on that sad note. It's a sad, you know, because Joseph had specifically asked the butler to remember him after he was restored. But the Bible makes it clear that when when things got back to normal for the for the cupbearer, he he forgot about Joseph. And maybe initially he had it in his mind when the time is right, I'll I'll say something to Pharaoh, but I got to make sure it's right because I don't want to get in trouble again. You know, whatever his reasoning was, uh, you know, I, I see Joseph waiting especially when the news of, of the cupbearer's restoration into Pharaoh's favor became known. I think Joseph at the minimum was expecting and anticipating a communication, an acknowledgement, but nothing. He got nothing. Silence. Nothing. Days turn to weeks, weeks to months until it becomes apparent. Nothing. It's going to happen. He's forgotten me, sadly. And finally, he had not been remembered. You know, it's hard to be forgotten. It's hard to be unremembered, particularly when we have um, an expectation or an anticipation. You know, we're waiting, we're waiting, we're waiting for something to break. We're so excited about its possibility. We're very hopeful. And then it doesn't happen. And we keep waiting. And we're praying, we're waiting, and we're looking forward to it. And we just start getting beaten down by the reality that what we were hoping for may not happen. You know, in Proverbs 13, 12, it says this, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. You know, I was reading one online commentary that put it this way, and I thought it was so well written that I wanted to share it with you. I don't even know the commentator's name, but I love what was written. He said this, the term deferred in this passage, remember, a hope deferred, means to put off or to drag out, as in a long, drawn-out process. Hope deferred can look like many things. A prayer of salvation for a loved one that continues unanswered year after year. We're hoping, believing for it. An agonizing job search filled with endless interviews and rejections. Very hard. A long-term battle with cancer or a heartbreaking string of miscarriages. As we eagerly hope for something important, it keeps being postponed. The longing we feel can actually make our heart sick. The word heart in this passage embodies not only mental or emotional core, but the whole inward person. It's something makes the heart sick. It causes despair and affliction. You know, the Good News translation renders the verse like this. When hope is crushed, the heart is crushed. Hope deferred can lead to depression, anxiety, and if it goes on long enough, it can actually lead to physical sickness. Like that darkness settles over us. And we, the mind affects the body and the body affects the mind. These two are more interrelated than we realize, which is why the Bible reminds us to really regulate our thought life and to, and to seek alignment internally because those things will show up in us. They do affect us. How we, thinks, thinks, how we think matters 
As a man thinketh, so he is, the scripture says. Our thoughts determine things. There's power in them. When we wait for a good thing for so long that the desire and expectation turn in turn to hopelessness, like what happened with Joseph, we can become spiritually dried up and vulnerable. This is what the writer says, one more thing too, the enemy's attacks. And I'm talking spiritual here, right? Not only do we become vulnerable to real intense emotional trauma and physical, physical setback, but we also become spiritually vulnerable. And that's a whole nother area because our hope, our, our, our hope is being deferred and we're, we're vulnerable to deception and lies. But that second part of that verse, that, that 12th verse says, it gives the antithesis to a hope deferred, doesn't it? But a longing fulfilled is what? Like a tree of life. <laughs> oh man, the tree of life represents the renewal of life. When our hopes and desires are fulfilled, we're refreshed, we're invigorated. I mean, when our prayers are answered, uh, we're encouraged. You know, Solomon reiterates the sentiment in Proverbs 13, 19, when he says, a longing fulfilled is sweet to the soul. <laughs> when it comes, oh God, that's just so good. I'm so grateful. In Joseph's case, verse 23 reminds us that he was forgotten. Yet the chief cupbearer, again, did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. So to all the other wounds of his life was added the bitter sting of ingratitude on top of it. It could have been, if you hear me out, the straw that broke the camel's back, the tipping point that pushed him over the edge and made him give up, become cynical. People kept letting him down, you know. And the Bible is kind of amazing. It doesn't pull the punches when it comes to the flaws of its heroes and heroines. But I do think it's pretty remarkable that when we look at Joseph, there is the absence of any real reference to him exhibiting a negative attitude or having to walk through some crisis of faith because God let him down. I mean, he didn't, he didn't see people's failings as, as something that God was responsible for. That, that's really important. He, he retained a trust base in the Lord. Um, he, he just keeps going. He, he just keeps growing. And I, I love him for it. I do. I think he's one of the most amazing examples in all of the scripture. Because you remember in the book of Genesis, which is this opening book of the Bible, and so much is covered in it. Almost one quarter is devoted to the life of Joseph. He's not only a deliverer and the key to bridging Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to ultimately Moses and the deliverance of Israel out of Egypt. He, he is a model for all of us who would follow Jesus. Like there's a real example for, he chose, he chose to, you know, instead of fixating um, on the offense, he, he chose to come to grips with his forgottenness. He chose to adapt. He regrouped. He kept climbing his wall. Whether things were done to him that were wrong or whether it was a good undone, he was remarkably resilient. And I, I do want to differentiate those two things. You know, 
some things are that were done to Joseph were just wrong. You know, I, th I think of what his brothers did to him and, and honestly how Potiphar treated him after the accusation was made by Mrs. Potiphar. Those were wrongs, and then have being put into prison. Those were wrongs done to him. But in this case, the, the butlers or the cupbearers' insensitivity and his choice to forget Joseph after he got his life back together was a good that was undone. And Joseph had to deal with that. And he had to overcome it. He had to endure it. He had to walk through these disappointments. And I think this is where some of us struggle. This is an area I do believe where some of us struggle. Why, why does it seem so easy to hold a grudge and to be, I guess, torn up or really bothered when we feel like we are under-acknowledged or under-appreciated or overlooked. Now, I know that feeling as well. I mean, I know we're different and um, some of us get more affirmation than others, but none of us love being overlooked, um, having people assume ill will of us when we've been giving our best. I know that feeling, you know. Why are, why are we so disturbed and troubled by the ingratitude of others? What is it about us as human beings? Why are we so ready to take offense and then to hold it and nurture it just because people let us down and, and don't respond in a way that we think is right? Like, I did good to you and this is what I get back. You know, loved ones, that's what I'll call you, all of us. Let's refuse to nurture offense. Let's not do it. Let's determine instead to let it drop in the pool of grace. Yeah, just let it, let it go. You know, Madeline Langle probed this question in her book, Sold into Egypt. She says, why does it seem so often a human quality to forget those who have done good things for us and to remember those who have hurt us? And why do we have such a short memory when it comes to good and such a long memory when it comes to bad? I do think this is connected to our fallenness, our nature. It's not an excuse. But may God give us the grace to be more concerned with blessing the people who are gifts to us than fixating on the people who disappoint us or, or do wrong to us. Right? Now, back to Joseph. Joseph is forced to wait again. The word of the Lord testing him. He has to wait for his deliverance. A deliverance that he doesn't know if it will ever come. Remember, hope deferred can make a heart sick. I mean, Joseph is really, in, he's, he's got to dig deep here. And I was thinking about deliverance. You know, when I was a younger Christian, I remember hearing about the three ways that God delivers. And the first two I liked. Well, again, I was a young, just kind of a younger believer in my teens, early 20s. I can't remember exactly when. I liked the first two. I didn't like the third one as much. And I'll, I'll share with you um, what they are under the category of how God delivers. Sometimes the Lord delivers, we'll call this out of. So one of the ways God delivers is out of. That is, there's kind of a, a pretty quick deliverance, relatively speaking. Something happens, it's not good. We find ourselves in a crisis, in a bad situation. Something is incredibly wrong. We get diagnosed with something. Um, you know, we have a financial situation that is not good. And, or, or it could be anything. It could be a relational crime. I mean, the point is we pray, we ask God to help us. 
And all of a sudden, in the middle of this crisis, in the middle of this very bad situation, the Lord creates a pathway for us and we get delivered from it. It, it bang, it just turns around. And we're, we're astonished. God answers our prayer and makes a way for us. And we're stunned in a good way. Like, wow, God, you came through for me in such an incredible way. You know, we had a few people pray, pray with us. We prayed, we, we just were asking the Lord for help and it, and it came. So that's one of the ways God delivers out of. But sometimes God delivers in a different way. He delivers us, he delivers us through something. Through, in contrast to out of. And this is where building resilience really comes in when God delays the deliverance and we are compelled like Joseph. Now, maybe his journey was a little longer than ours will be. We are compelled to make a long journey before we get the breakthrough. Can you imagine a dark tunnel and all you see at the very back is maybe a speck of light? Maybe. Now, in Joseph's case, he saw nothing. He saw nothing. There was nothing to indicate his situation was going to change, that he would ever be delivered from the confinement he found himself in. But there are times where during this long journey and wrestling match, where we have to learn, like Joseph, how to endure, how to trust God, how to keep growing until the time of completion. In Joseph's case, until the time of his, the completion, the word of the Lord tested him. And one of the things I know about through, in contrast to out of, is that the man or woman who comes out of through is a very different one than the one who went in. The length of it, the uncertainty of it, the challenge of it, it, uh, it just reworks the interior of who we are if we can stay close to the Lord. You know, out of, if I can put it this way, produce marvel and astonishment when God comes through. I can still remember uh, a situation where God sent uh, someone with a word of encouragement when I was just a young pastor and the church was having a real challenge and, and they, they brought a, a gift and it was a gift of, of resource for our church. And it blessed me so much. It became like a real delivering point of encouragement for me. I still remember it to this day. In fact, that was the phrase today, the Lord is encouraging you. And I was encouraged. I was encouraged. And it became for a forever marking point for me of what God can do like a milestone marker. How does, you know, produce short lived excitement, but they can also be things that we look back on that help us because they're part of our faith story and we draw strength from them from time to time. They're reminders of what God can do and they inspire us, but they inspire us. Out of tend to inspire us more than they change us. Throughs change us. They rearrange us. Uh, they make us different people. It could, be, it could be years, it could be decades, I mean, of having to walk through something before we get the breakthrough. And that makes us very different people. If we're able to hold on to the Lord or at least not run away from his embrace, we, we will become over time more like him. That's 
one of the things that happens. We become deeper, better people. If we keep our hearts soft and we stay humble, even in the midst of our hardship, we, be, we become, uh, more, like I said, more empathetic. Our faith matures and grows and, and just there's, there's a depth to us and a, and a richness and a wealth that, can, that is only the product that, of adversity mixed with faith that produces a kind of growth in our life that wouldn't come any other way. That's, that's when resilience really gets developed because we have to practice it and we have ups and downs and we don't get it right all the time. Sometimes we have moods and sometimes we have seasons where we just want to give up. Sometimes we're, we doubt God. Sometimes we let that get reflected out in our attitudes and our ways of being. And the Lord, but through it all, we just end up staying with the Lord. And, and then the Lord brings the breakthrough and it's, it's amazing. So out of and throughs. But the third one, <laughs> the one that I told you about, I didn't like when I was just a young believer. It was called, I called it the unto. So the out of, the through, and the unto. And the unto was death unto life. Some trials, like Paul's thorn in the flesh, are brought to their conclusion at the end of our day. And my grace will be sufficient for you through the day of your life. And it will not be until we meet Jesus that we will lay this aside. It will always be something we carry. And... You know, it's, it's similar to number two in the sense that we have to learn how to grow and become grace dependent. There's no other way to survive. You cannot thrive. How about that? Without learning how to become grace dependent. How to find the Lord in the midst of that pain and that difficulty. You know, but it's, it's different because we come, we come to realize it's different than the, than the throughs because we come to realize that the miracle deliverance may not come to me in this life and that my hope in Christ is my great reward. And that hope is secured not just by his death, but by his resurrection power. He rose, so I will rise to newness of life. The promise of life yet to come has even more meaning when it's not about getting through something and a breakthrough occurring on this side, it's about what happens on the other side. That's when the healing is going to take place. And the key here in that place will be not so much resignation as it is resolution. Not giving up, but growing up. Resolve to live with the limitation in a way that makes us, again, not bitter, but better. So that even as we wait for our ultimate deliverance, we're already free on the inside. You see what I'm saying? We're not captive by what we may have to carry with grace all the days of our lives. Just something to be aware of. I rejoice for deliverance. I pray for it. We're encouraged to on this side. But we also going to anchor ourselves on a promise sure and true, built on the solid rock of Jesus. So we're going to shift. I've got another thought to share before we go. I do want to remind everybody before we, we share this uh, final song of ours to be faithful in your giving and continue to do so as best as you can under the Lord. You can do it the traditional way and send it in. You can do it online or through the app. That's what I do. But um, I've told you many times how proud I am of our church, how faithful you have been in your tithes and your offerings during this very unusual time of ours. We are staying together in community and the Lord is well pleased and we We'll get through this together and we will rejoice together again in the house of the Lord. But for now, let's share this moment and then I'll come back around.
It's okay to fear. It's okay when you feel small and you're okay right here. And it's okay when you feel nothing at all. And it's okay to find out what you thought you had and what you got. And it's okay to doubt, to learn what you think and what you thought. And we are always in motion, like the winds, the tides, the ocean. And every day I'm born again. I wake up, I feel that second wind. We're gonna be alright, we're gonna be alright. I see the look in your eyes. It's okay to grieve. It's okay to learn to fall, and it's okay to believe, to admit that you're human after all. And it's okay to heal all the scars that buried deep inside, and it's okay to feel, to say all the things you've been trying to hide. And we are always in motion, like the winds, the tides, the ocean. And every day I'm born again. Wake up, I feel that second wind. We're gonna be alright, we're gonna be alright. I see the look in your eyes. We're gonna be alright. I said, We're gonna be alright, we're gonna be alright. Just take a look at the sky. We're gonna be alright. Lift it up to the ceiling, cause we all need a healing. Let's get lost in the feeling, the feeling, the feeling. Lift it up to the ceiling, cause we all need that healing. Let's get lost in the feeling, the feeling, the feeling, yeah. We're gonna be alright. We're gonna be alright, we're gonna be alright. I see the look in your eyes. blessing. Hey, one more thought about Joseph. You know, in his case, we are specifically told that he was forgotten, that he was not remembered by the cupbearer. But you know who did remember Joseph? The Lord. God was with him. You know what? The Lord is with you too. Jesus told us, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you, though I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. When things turn around and change, whatever outcomes, kingdoms rise, kingdoms fall, the Lord still prevails above them all. And he's so good and he's so God and he wants us to so good and he wants us to so God. And you know, I've been reminding you that you are greatly loved. Live as children of his love. Remember his banner over me, his love. You are loved in Christ. That's the greatest gift. 
Let's not be angry. Don't let things make us critical. Let's keep our eyes on the right things. Stay encouraged and may the Lord keep you in your spirit, in your soul, and in your body. In Jesus' name.